Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this is the first episode of 2023. And what better way to kick it off than with an incredible guest, none other than actor and comedian Eddie Izzard. I was really impressed to hear some of her personal philosophies around just continuing to want to want to learn and better herself. And these are philosophies that I try to impose on myself personally of just like never stopping trying to learn and, and improve. And uh, like she just ran for parliament, uh, said she she still wants to go into politics. But like all these little known facts that I didn't realize that she was totally into outside of just what we may know her for of uh, comedy and acting. So I can't wait to share this conversation with you find me online of course instagram twitter tiktok leave a rating leave a review and everybody happy new year enjoy this episode with eddie izzard the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's guest needs no introduction, although I'm going to give her one anyway. She is a Tony Award-nominated, Emmy Award-winning actress who quickly rose to fame in the 90s as a phenomenal stand-up comedian, producing two of my all-time favorite specials, Glorious and Dressed to Kill. Among her 41 film credits include The Avengers, Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13, and Rock Dog, which my kids still love to watch, by the way. Uh, she has around 40 TV credits, is a politician, an activist, a philanthropist, historian, linguist, and has also lent her voices to video games and now along with her brother Mark have adapted Great Expectations the Charles Dickens classic into a two-act monologue that was just extended through February 11th at the Greenwich House House Theater I can't speak today Greenwich House Theater in New York City she is the reason that throughout college at every birthday party I would just ask people if they wanted cake or death Eddie Izzard welcome to the theater podcast thank you very much um, you mentioned video games I didn't know I was on a video game uh, <laughs> according to wikipedia you've done you've got two vo credits oh right wow yeah well probably a voiceover from some other thing that would be spirited i used to be addicted to them you see i used to play asteroids back in the early days of video games when most people weren't born there you go. <laughs> most people in the whole world history started in 1979 or so i think that's what it is right yeah no i'm just uh, i just assume i'm slightly old than certain people but uh it's actually the young and the young at heart that's an interesting thing the young and the young at heart that changed the world for better and it's the old and the old at heart that changes for the worse 
That's what I feel. This is my political thought for the day. Anyway. Well, well speed of po- politics, I just want to touch on this real quick, that you just recently ran for parliament, which I think is yeah. just phenomenal. With everything that you've done and can do and want to do, you're just like, I'm just going to add politics to my resume. It's it, it might look that I'm adding things, but there's only about three things that I wanted to do. And like politics was one I considered, but I thought, no, I, I need to do my creativity. Um, drama was my first love. Uh, and comedy was something I liked, but I didn't know you could specialize in. So there's only those three things. The running 130 plus marathons, that's a thing. That's a thing in itself, but that's for charity and that's that's a sort of positive thing. It's health for myself. It hopefully inspires other people to, to get up and, and keep their bodies going. But there's, there's only really those three things, politics, drama and comedy that I've done. So I like to boil it, distill it down to that. And that doesn't, that's not, you know, when you were a teenager, you might go, oh, it's a bit, an astronaut, I'll be this or I'll be that. And I've just, there's three of them. And I was doing one. It took me so long to get, well, I wanted to be an actor. That didn't happen. Well, it wasn't happening at school. I was, if you were a smaller kid at school, I think kids around the world, especially if you're growing up a boy, um, taller boys, you said, right, you're the king. Smaller boy, right, you're the slave. And the slave, very few great slave parts. The Spartacus, and that's it. And there's very few school productions of Spartacus due to the fact that um, the large battle scenes were very tricky to do with kids <laughs> with plastic swords. How do we get all the Romans coming in and getting enveloped uh, on doing Hannibal? Now, no, that's different uh, battles than Spartacus. But anyway, um, yes, yeah, so uh, I, it just took me a, a long time to get the comedy going, then the comedy got going, and I thought it's taking so long to get this going that I'm going to add drama to it as well. So I have a separate dramatic agent and a separate comedic agent. That's an interesting thing, which not most people don't do. Um, but then politics was something I, I've, I've said for 10 years, or well, 12 years now that I'm going into politics. And Glenda Jackson did, of course, Oscar-winning Glenda Jackson, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger did it. It's a thing I just thought, am I going to go through this entire life and not do this? Because... Politics, it does. There are some wonderful people really pushing away hard and telling the truth in it. And then there are these lying people, these lying <laughs> Tweedledum and Tweedledee, Tr- Donald Trump and Boris Johnson, who just thought, I know, if I just lie my way through politics, surely that's going to be easier. And it is so much easier. You don't have to check anything. Just lie, lie, lie. Piles of lies. And if, you, if you're fast enough at your lying, as we have noticed, by the time anyone says, this lies, oh, you're onto another one. But hang on, what about this? Oh, oh, let's deal with this next. Oh, we're dealing with a third. And, and you know, Trump's lied more than, than Hitler, and I think Boris Johnson's catching up on that. It's just, uh, anyway, so I thought, you know, uh, if you're moderate, I'm a radical and a moderate, radical things with a moderate message. So I thought, well, let's commit to going into politics. And then I'm going to come out of politics later on down the road, and I'm going to make a lot of films after that. So I've, I've, I've worked out the next 50 years. In my head, it won't be precisely like this, but, you know, plan the head on what I want to do. But, I'm, yeah, I will be going into politics. So I didn't make it on this seat, but I'll keep going because I am a relentless bastard. Well, you, you, you sound like you've always got a, a North Star, right? Like you're pursuing this truth or pursuing your truth, whatever the case is. And, and so like what you were saying about politics, it, it sort of relates to um, what I wanted to touch on with the acting and the drama and the stand up and um, and everything, because it seems like when you when you just go on stage, you're just you're just stream of consciousness. And, and it, I don't know if that's planned or if that is uh, like how much of that is rehearsed. But like, obviously, I would assume you have talking points and outlines of what you want things to do. But how much of what you're doing on stage is complete stream of consciousness? 
You're talking comedy here as opposed to the Dickens show that I'm doing in New York. Yes, now. yes, comedy in general, yeah. Yes, yes, comedy. No, it's not. Um, it starts as a stream of consciousness, but 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 not like, hey, what's cheese? Cheese, God, cheese comes from cows. If cows eat cheese, well, are they cannibals? Does that is that any bit no? Because you, know, you can. It's just their milk and whatever. I, I'm not doing that. I'm just running through ideas and endlessly going on a kind of a druggy trip. It's more like I find a theme of things. Like I found this scene that I thought was worth exploring and that was human sacrifice. Now we know it happened. We know that the the, the you know the Aztecs did it. So you got a lot of tribes, probably tribes with it must be tribes in yeah, tribes in North America, South America, Africa, all around the world. We know the Vikings were doing it. So Vikings and the Aztecs do it at the same time. And were they phoning each other and saying, how are you getting on with your human sacrifice? Is it really helping? On a long string with a tin can, you know, because obviously <laughs> mobile, mobile phones were less good back in those days. Um, but they, we know they were doing it, so they weren't conferring. And we know that, you know, the idea, if you think about the, the sales technique of, we're going to steal, the crops are, this is, this is part of my stand-up, the weather is bad, the crops have failed, the gods obviously hate us, so we're going to kill Steve. And um, Steve's always got rough. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. Someone must have gone, whoa, hang on, Steve. So what? And you kill Steve and it gets better. Why? Because that's what the gods say. And who are the gods? Do? They're talking in my ear right now. I put this bone through my nose for a specific reason, Jack. And that bone through my nose means I am the witch doctor. And therefore, I'm talking to the blokes upstairs. And they're telling me, Steve, we're going to rip out his innards while he's still alive. And then the crops are going to really pick up. On in the uh, next quarter, in the next <laughs> fiscal year, you know, it was obviously bullshit from from way back when. It was political control, and if if Jack got up and said, "Hey, Steve, shouldn't go," then said, "Jack, you're next in line." You realize that? Oh, okay, forget it. Good luck, Steve. Um, yeah, no, I'll just go do the washing up. And so, where where am I going with this? So that's a scene. So I would mine that scene and look for people saying stupid things, people trying to push back on that. And rather than it be just a stream of consciousness, it's a it's a directed stream upon a seam, like like a, a seam of gold in in you know in the rocks. You, I find the edge of it, and I just mine that seam and stay on it. Some people, Stephen Wright, you know, amazing American stand-up, he would take individual jokes. He he, he crafts a beautiful pearl, and then he does another pearl, and then another pearl. I can't do it that way. I can't do it, like Stephen. I have to do it. Where I take them, I think it's a lazy approach. You just find a scene, then you mine that scene for a long time, and then you go to another scene, and therefore each scene is about ten minutes long, and you save having to come up with a million billion ideas and just come up with you know about twenty per show or something. <laughs> so that's the stand-up. But the Dickens I'm doing at the moment is a learned thing. My um, I was going to adapt it with my brother, who's a writer, and my older brother Mark, and I, it's you know it's twenty hours a book, so we're going to cut it down to hour and a half, two hours. Um, and he just went ahead and did it while I was tour touring in America. And so I said, "Oh, you've done that one. Uh, do you want to do Act Two? He said, "Yeah, I'll do Act Two. And suddenly he was he was off and running, and so I said, "Well, yeah, okay, you do it yourself." And then he'd done Act Two, and then Act Three was much trickier to pull it together. So Act One and Act Two is the first half, and Act Three is the is the second half. And yeah, it's working. People are liking it. We're getting these great reviews, and we we've extended before we'd even opened, which is yeah. very it's apparently rare. Um, we uh, yeah, we've got one on to eleventh of February now um, at the uh, Greenwich House Theatre, which is fantastic.
I saw it. Uh, I saw it last week, and and it just it blew me away. It absolutely did because it's it's the first time I've seen you. Actually, no, that's not true. I saw you uh, when you were touring about five or six years ago up on the Upper West Side somewhere. So I saw you do stand up, and then like to to watch you again tell the story. It it seemed like if I didn't know it was the story of Great Expectations, I would have thought it was just a wonderful like Eddie Izzard sort of not not a comedic bit, but a a a through line of something that just fits who you are and fits your personality. And and I wonder like how much of that was that a a a conscious choice to put some of the humorous bits in there and like the recurring gag of like taking the letter from the from downstage left right like you you always have a little bit of you in there but it is the classic story and I wonder like where that merging comes from. I mean, as you as you'll know, anyone who loves Dickens, uh, Dickens is actually exactly 150 years older than me. By the way, he's he's birthday seventh February. 1812 and I'm 7th of February 1962. So I have this 150 year to the day link, which doesn't mean anything, but I decided to run with it. And um, he, his descriptions were humorous. Some of his characters were humorous. Some of his characters are very dark. Um, some of his women were underwritten. Some of his women were much better written. A lot of his male characters are quite distinctive and memorable. Um, but he, he did like uh, the, the humorous descriptions and humorous um, setups in scenes, get, getting into scenes which were, which where comedic things would happen. I come from comedy background, have done a lot of drama, and it kind of sits well with me that any humor that he has put into a scene, I have, I have pulled it out. The the when I received letters and well, when Pip, the the hero of our story, receives letters, I I get them through his front door, but I just keep saying thank you to a person who is delivering it, who's not there, and it just becomes this. It became this running thing. It only started about a week ago, actually. Um, but it, it seems quite fun to just have people keep going in, except for the one, the last one, actually, which I stopped because I didn't want because it's when I go down to Miss Havisham's for the final time and she's going to see me on a matter of business and she's her character has come upon a real realization of what she's been doing all her life, how terrible she has been. And I have, I do not receive that from the person at the door. So there is no laugh there. There was before. I just thought this doesn't sit right, but a laugh can relieve uh, endless tension that is going on, but it's the drama it's the arc of Pip who, who basically drags the rich, uh, rags the riches story. It's a kind of American dream story. If you think about what the American dream is, if you distill it, it's it's the human dream. It's you know it doesn't it, it was actually an immigrant dream. I think if you're the essence of America, people coming and say, "I'll do it. I'll try. I'll push. I'll build. I'll build something new." And that thing that's why I say I think like an American on my Twitter feed because I think like that. Let's go do it. Let's go build it. I mean, a trans woman playing nineteen characters on stage, launching Dickens show in New York. That's pretty cool. I think that's great. Dickens played here 155 years ago. He was in New York doing performing extracts of his own material in the Steinway Hall, which was a hall that the Steinway Piano Company had built in 14 and 4th um, uh, to so people could do concerts with their pianos and that kind of stuff. They moved now uh, Steinway, and Steinway Hall is, is where they have their pianos, but there isn't a hall there anymore. But he was playing here. He was performing his own material, and I'm sort of mirroring him. But I do add certain little, um, I call them Easter eggs of of comedy which are not his which are mine but are written in his style there's one that uncle pomachuk 
uh, description was a large, hard-breathing man, face like a fish, dull, staring eyes, and hair that stood up on his head. That was his, that's Dickens' description, and mine is Uncle Pompadour, a large, hard-breathing man, face like a fish, dull, staring eyes, and hair that had obviously been arranged by a dying relative, <laughs> which just came to me, and I just thought that's very, that's fun, and I think Dickens might have liked it. Uh, it's not his line, but... Um, Obviously, been arranged by a dying relative. I just saw someone <laughs> dying of consumption on a bed saying, Uncle Pompadour, I'll just do it. Uh, that's, that's good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good, Uncle Pompadour. Off you go. And <laughs> it looked it look the same as sticking up on top of his head. So, um, so those are, there's, there's, little, there's little Easter eggs in there of it. But essentially, it's very true to, to Dickens. We, uh, it is adapted by my brother. There's some lines we have augmented, enhanced. Uh, certain scenes just so that people can clearly work out what's going on because he wrote monthly and um and, and sometimes he was trying to give out little clues but obscurely and at certain points you go well who is estella's mother and so you can work out who estella's mother is from our story i mean it's 20 hours of book cut down to two hours of, of film which is like the david lean classic benchmark film um with which uh, 1948 film, black and white film of great expectations, and we're at the same length, two hours, and people seem to get it. And kids from you know eight or ten are getting it, as well as people from eight to eighty, I think is, uh, or even eight to ninety. Yeah, there was a kid in front of me in the audience too, like a, a young kid, and I and I, it occurred to me like, yeah, it t- totally makes sense because you you start to learn these classics at a young age. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Where did your uh, uh, your love for Dickens and Great Expectations come from? Because you were saying, or, or I read somewhere that like you're, you're dyslexic, so reading these heavy books is, has been really tough. Well, this was the thing. I reached a certain age, and I thought I've never read a great work of, of, of literature. Um, I'm also severely atypically dyslexic, so that's kind of the reason I'm a very slow reader. Um, still some vocalized in my head. Some When you start off in a kid, you actually read it out and go, the cat sat on the, and you say that loud. And I'm, um, sub, I think sub vocalized, well, I'm doing it in my head. I, I read out the words in my head as I go along. And so it just takes me lot, much longer than your average reader. So I suddenly thought, I'd heard this little fact that audiobooks were on the rise. As you mean, as people listen to podcasts, audiobooks, your podcast, um, it's on the rise. It wasn't there before, and now it is. You can hear it in the car, you can get up in the morning, put your makeup on, do whatever you need to do to get up in the morning, and and you can listen to things. You can have an, um, an AirPod in, an earplug us in, and you can just listen during the day, drive, whatever it is. And so more of these are around. And I thought maybe a company would pay me to read a work of Dickens. I chose Dickens because my 150-year link. And this company, uh, Wildfire, they came up and they've got Alex Clark said, okay, uh, great expectations we want you to do because that's on the syllabus for a lot of kids, particularly in the UK and sometimes in America as well, uh, in English-speaking countries. Uh, Dickens, it's, it's, quite, it's one of his more mature books towards the end of his life. Um, some of the earlier books are a little bit um, crazy romps and, and this one's more about life and emotion and redemption and um, a lot of characters being very twisted to each other and catching themselves on by the end that this is not a good way to live a life. Um, so he, they chose that. 
I did it, 20 hours of book, took me three weeks in a studio. I had to read the, 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 the stuff I was going to record in the morning, and then I'd go in and record it in the afternoon. Quite a tricky thing to pull out of me, but it's out there. The audio book is, is there in all its majesty to be downloaded at your leisure around the world. Um, and I thought, why don't I do a, a live show to back it up? Because I realized I could do a live show because my stand-up was very influenced by Richard Pryor's uh, technique of having two characters saying, hey, what are you doing? Well, get have you got the gun? I haven't got the gun. We're going hunting. What the hell, man? Just give me the gun. This thing of two guys going hunting. And I remember um, Richard Pryor watching that. I think it's on Richard Pryor Live. Um, and he, he would have characters talking to each other. And so I thought, well, I'll do that. I think a lot of, I thought a lot of stand-ups must do that when I started stand-up because I came from sketch comedy before I did stand-up. And I found that with examination, not a huge amount of stand-ups do characters talking to each other. And I do this sort of quarter turn that I got from Richard. And I realized I, I, I've done it all through my stand-up career since 1988. I'm very um, experienced at doing that technique. So why don't I just use it on drama? So that's what I've done. I've taken Richard Pryor's technique and applied it to Dickens which is, again, kind of beautiful. I love these these collisions of stuff, which, you know, Richard Pryor, I think he'd love to know that that was happening. Dickens would like to say, well, who is this gentleman? His name is Richard Pryor. He's a brilliant stand-up. He's an African-American guy. Uh, influenced a lot of people. Okay, okay. <laughs> Richard's going, okay, what, Dickens? Dickens, that's that one? Okay, crazy. Let's do it. Or let's watch it. Or let it happen. You know. <laughs> so that's what I did. And I'm a trans woman, so to... to there was one review that said that I'm embodying the male characters and the female characters with, I'm paraphrasing here, but with equal, I'm not, I'm not twisting the sexuality. I'm not, I'm not, obviously I grew up as a boy, so I can, playing the male characters is somewhat easier to me, but to play Stella and Miss Havisham being their feminine selves, being the ice queen that the, the, the Stella is, this beauty that she has and, um, she knows the power it has over people and the fact it's destroying Pip. She doesn't really care about this. She just feels she's had a life without love and Havisham wants revenge, revenge, revenge. But I'm playing the women inside me or the, the, cause I feel I'm gender fluid and I feel I have boy genetics and girl genetics. So I'm just, it's, it's a perfect thing to express that. Very 21st century again, New York's just a great place to launch it. And we previewed it around, um, since I started it before COVID. And now it's been launched and um, the reviews that are coming out are coming, saying really wonderful things. So I'm very happy. Well, I, they're well-deserved. Well it's well-deserved accolades. I mean, like I said, I saw the show and, and again, just blew me away. And the, it, and that's really true. The way that you do present both genders uh, of characters, it's just, it's, you present them as they are without embellishing any stereotypes, which I think is is a dangerous trope to do, and it's very common to fall back to uh, with comedians these days too. But I mean, you you've brought up being trans a couple times. Like you came out as trans thirty seven years ago, right? In eighty five. So as you as you said, like as a kid, you're running, jumping, climbing trees, putting on makeup, right? So that's that's you as in a nutshell. But you were at boarding school, and you had you were with your brother, and you lost your mom at a young age too. So there's like all this rolled into like little Eddie that that you know. In the next five minutes, <laughs> hopefully we can unpack. But um, like, what got you into the need for 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 performing for stand up? Yeah. I think it's mum. Mum loved amateur dramatics and and singing. I still haven't used the voice. I think there is a latent voice in me, which at my ripe old age um, of 60 going on 30, um, I think I still need to put it out. I started taking uh, uh, music lessons. Oh, I've only had two, but uh, this this 
uh, teacher, this uh, singing teacher, Joy. Uh, I really want to do more, more with her, but I've been running around doing other things. But anyway, mum had this thing. Now, mum died in 1968. Uh, and if you know, 68 was also Martin Luther King and was Bobby Kennedy. It was a, you know, and my mum died in March of that year. So it was just, I mean, I wasn't cognizant of that at the time, but it was a, not a good year for good people departing this this life. But once mum had gone, I was desperate for her love. I craved her love. I think I was very needy of her love. My dad said I did brinkmanship with her. I think I would, I would push her for... You know, I can I have this? Can I have that? Can I something else? I don't know. I, I just was rather pushy. And uh, but two years after she died, I saw a play and I saw people, uh, someone on stage doing great work, great stuff, and people were giving uh, this kid lots of applause. And I thought, I want to do that. That I want to do. And it never moved from that point. And I think it's a swap for mum's affection. Um, I just wanted to be on stage. Uh, and playing these other people. Maybe that was an escape from the hell of mum going away forever and ever and ever. Because um, I do like that. If you, if you sit inside another character, that is that is an intriguing place to be. But also the performance, and if you do it right, the, the audience gives you applause. Therefore, that's affection and that's a swap. Um, so I think that's where it came from. And from the age of seven, January 1970, I saw a play, A Boy With A Cart, Boy with his cut, Christopher Fry uh, play. And um, yeah, I thought that's what I wanted to do. I've now performed in that very room again, which is no longer a, uh, um, it was a gymnasium and, a, and, a, and then it would become into their performance space. But now it's a, it's a dance room. But anyway, I went back to that school and I said, can I perform in this room? Because it started here. Yeah, so it's it's come from that. And uh, it's, quite, it's quite a good swap as well, because if you, a mother might give unconditional love, even if the kid's going off the rails. Mother might still be there loving the kid, even if you know bad things happen. But but this is the thing: is you have to do good work on stage, and then the audience will give you uh, affection or, or some applause or whatever it is. But if you do bad work, hopefully they will go, "Well, less applause for you," or "No applause," or "I'm going to walk out of it." So I really strive to do good work. How do you workshop new material? Because I know a lot of comedians will just go and like with their notes in their hand to like these tiny little clubs and and try to figure out obviously they work what works and what doesn't. And and are are you workshopping in that same sort of way? Or like when you're looking at new things, how do you how do you figure out what you want to talk about? How do you find the seams? Yeah, in comedy, yes, that's it. I have the ideas that I go in, but I don't do. I noticed that in America there was a whole uh, a history at. Um, um, you know, a culture of let's go to a small club and we'll just come on maybe at the end of the thing. Hey, it's that, it's that person. We know that person. Yeah, I'm going to do some new stuff. I've got stuff in my hand. I have everything that that is, but I do it in small theatres instead. And I would encourage any American stand-up to do this as well um, or any stand-up in the world because if you've got a certain profile, if you reduce your ticket price down to what we're doing, 10 buck tickets. So I do two shows a night, two-hour shows, and um, for, say, a period of months, I would go in and just do, uh, I don't know, 7 to 8 and then 8.30 to 9.30 uh, with a little break in between. A uh, different audience would come in and you just say, yeah, okay, let's talk about cheese. Let's talk about haircuts. Let's talk about this and go into it and go, okay, that's not working. And I'd usually leave a little bit of my own material that's done before at the end to give them a nice feel that something hit at the end and they had a bit of entertainment, if, if, in case, you know, um, 45 minutes is kind of dull, 
but um, that's what I do, and, I, and it's, it's you know, I've done that in French as well and in German. That's the interesting thing, because we had Brexit, which I didn't agree with, the idea of separating out in the 21st century is not going to end up with a, a, us in a good place. I think that's what Vladimir Putin wants us all to do, is separate out and all start hating each other. So Brexit is part of his plan, I think. Um, so I feel we should uh, be making connections rather than breaking connections. So I started developing my last show, Wunderbar, in Paris. And I just went on stage again doing the two shows, but for one hour and then another hour, I would just go, hey, qu'est-ce qui se passe? Ma, non, je suis ici. Pour faire improvisation. Oui, c'est très cool. Oui, je suis contre Brexit, je suis positive. Uh, so I just talk and just, you know, my vocabulary wasn't that great. It was pretty good, not that great. If I didn't get a no word, I said, come on, escondi, how do you say, you know, helicopter? Oh, helicopter, c'est le même mot. Okay, that's good. And then I just carry on. <laughs> or if another word, squirrel, what is squirrel? Ecureuil, ecureuil, really? Ecureuil? Wow, that's crazy. How do you spell that? That's most of the vowels shoved in there. There's, there's some words which, you know, in, in any other language, it's going to be just tricky if you. Ecureuil is one. Requin is a shark. Um, Patfuerte. Patfuerte is, is a lovely sort of um, boulanger pastry thing, which I love saying because I find it so difficult to say. Um, and oeuf. Papillote. Um, the uh, scrambled eggs is a tricky word as well. So I just like getting all the trickiest words that I can, shoving them together. And, and reading them out one after the other. But yeah, mucking around in French. And then in German, alles auf Deutsch. Auch, das ist, das ist mehr schwierig. That's really tricky. And, um, but I think the German kids dig it and the French kids dig it and the Spanish kids as well that I'm starting doing Spanish now. Um, I just want to keep doing that, keep on the edge. Even though I'm going to politics, I'm going to keep these languages ticking over. And um, yeah, I just want to keep um, pushing the edge, pushing the fear back. Because if you could do gigs in French, German, but if you're improvising in French and German, then you're improvising in English. It's going to be like, well, what's the problem there? That's my <laughs> that's my technique. You make it so scary. You go into such scary arenas that once you push the fear back in that arena, then going back to the English one, it's like, wow, this is a walk in a park. We're just talking about stuff. Because the idea of improvising around for an hour is is essentially scary, but it's like driving. You know, before you could drive, the idea if you're driving for two hours, that would be a scary, oh God, what was that, did I just miss something? But when you get to experience driving, you just go, yeah, yeah, and you're chatting away with your friend and you can't even remember exactly how you did it because a lot of it's built in autopilot. And most of driving is actually, if you study it, it's just looking out for idiots. That's all you're doing. If you look, you come up to a junction, you go, is there an idiot here? Is there that, what's that car doing? Uh, that's okay. They've gone past them. You go past the danger point because even if they set off, they're going to go behind you. But uh, we're always just driving. Anyway, we get very experienced at things. And I'm experienced at stand up now in, well, in four languages I've got going. So that's yeah, crazy. You, Arabic, German, Russian, and Spanish are. No, it's Arabic and Russian are to come, and German, Spanish, and uh, French are up and running. Oh, gosh. Just that's ridiculous. Okay, well, you have a brain that is phenomenal. But, um, gosh, we're out of time here. I want to end with three questions that I always ask everyone to wrap up the episodes. Just the first one, very simply, is what motivates you? I think, above all, it's trying to get affection back, the affection that my mother gave me. I think that's sitting on top of it. But underneath it is trying to get respect of the people that I respect. 
So if the Monty Python guys said that they like my stuff, that's great. If great actors say that they like my acting, that's great. That's the respect of your peer group or, or of your of your elders, the people whose stuff you really love. That's that's what really motivates me. Hmm. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Younger stuff, I'm not sure. Younger people, I'd just say determination is more important than raw talent. There's some people, anyone who's got anywhere, now, I know some people who were talented when they were starting off, but they sort of dropped away. And it's the determination thing. You've got to keep going because you will, there will be roadblocks all along the route of life. And this is life, this is in business, this is politics, whatever. But if you determined, if you have a positive heart, if you have a negative heart, then please just stop, sit down and try and analyze why you're so negative. But if you have a positive heart, because there's a number of us who like to get somewhere, but we like other people to get somewhere, you know, doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. Come on, you go for it. Yeah, try that. Have a go at that. Do the do a one-person show. Try it. See what happens. Um, that's it. So yeah, determination is the very important thing. All right. So last question then: If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Maybe Outlaw Josie Wales. Did that throw you? I've never heard of that. The Outlaw Josie Wales, a Clint Eastwood film. From his earlier time, he said in, if you watch the making of the documentary, it's very, very good. It's, I mean, it's from a Southern perspective, but it doesn't actually seem to be from a Southern perspective. It's at the end of the American Civil War. I know a lot about your American Civil War, um, but this is really not about that. It's more about um, honor, learning to live with people. Um, Josie Wales is, is, he becomes the outlaw because he refuses to give in at the end of the war, which could be taken as a, you know, a political thing, but if you separate that out, it's really about just one person wanting to do his own thing, and his his family who's been killed by renegades at the beginning of the war, and that's really got nothing to do with the North South battles, just due to renegades going in and, and fighting whoever they thought was against them. But um, he he ends up with such a ragtag group of people that he's kind of protecting. It really is about life of about different people. Um, struggling together to just to exist and it's a kind of beautiful film and um, I, it would have got Oscar nominated all around the Mazoos if it had come later he said that because he eventually got to the point where they're saying hey let's 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 consider this for Oscar nominations but at that time they didn't do that and um but Outlaw Josie Wells is it's quite an epic I mean there are others there's probably about 10 films I could say but that is one that is just wonderful to watch. Anyone who doesn't hasn't watched it, get it out and have a look because it's a very good film and it's emotional and it ends in that in a bittersweet place. But it's it's kind of like life. <laughs> Well said, and I think it's a great place to end. Um, and so everybody, please visit EddieIzzardGreatExpectations.com and get tickets for the now extended Great Expectations One Woman Show at the Greenwich House Theater. Eddie, thank you so much. I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. I have so many questions, but obviously uh, you have a very busy schedule. Make sure to visit me online at thetheaterpodcast.com. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at theater underscore podcast or the theater podcast. Please leave a rating, leave a review wherever you're listening now. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Eddie, thank you so much for this incredible conversation. Thank you very much. It's very good to talk to you, Al. You too. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.